So we're continuing our series on the book of Revelation. And starting next week with our anniversary service, we're going we're gonna to do a, a different series. So we'll take a break from this. We might do one more Revelation sermon just to finish out the trumpet judgments, and then we'll get into Advent season, and we'll probably jump back into this maybe sometime in February or something. So we'll, we'll take a little bit of break, but, but we are taking our time with this, and it, it could take a couple years to get through it, but I think, I really feel strongly that this is something the Lord wants us to know, you know, what is in this book, and that we're not to fear what is in this book, and also as things happen around the world, maybe we will have some answers or a little bit more of a sense of relief, you know, as things unfold in the world events when we get into certain areas in this book. So last week in chapter 7, we witnessed what can be seen as the greatest revival that the world will ever know. You know, throughout the tribulation period, I am a firm believer that there are times in our lives and there are certain periods of time, like there are certain Sundays where God wants to just deposit just a, just a, a special, an extra dose of his presence, or he just wants us to know that he's with us, or he wants to, to take us into a, a new area of our lives. And it's an anointing, it's a blessing, it's a touch from the kingdom of God. And throughout this tribulation period, this seven years of chaos on earth, there's going to be these pockets of time, these moments of time that, that I think will be kind of like little mini revivals. Although they won't be like, I don't think, widespread because when you give your life to Jesus, you will lose your life for Jesus during the tribulation period. But you will gain eternity in heaven. And as we saw last week, if you give your life to Jesus during the tribulation period and then lose your life, you will have a special place in the temple, in the throne room of God for eternity, serving God day and night as, as a martyr who gave their life for Jesus during the tribulation period. I, I don't think I have the guts for that. I'm asking to be raptured up out of here before that happens. But, you know, we'll just we'll let the chips fall where they may, I guess. <laughs> But, but last week in chapter 7, we saw this, this revival, and, and we'll also see, so chapter 7 also was kind of, a, kind of a foreshadow or a precursor of what we will see in chapter 19. And so during some of these, these judgments that are being, being poured out onto the earth, we will also see little, little intervals of, of revivals, so to speak. We'll, we'll, we'll see what's happening here on earth what's happening on heaven, in heaven during that time. So there's kind of this back and forth that the Apostle Paul is being shown throughout this time. And, 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 and also, you know, people will repent during this time of tribulation and give their lives to Jesus. So if we wonder, like, what is going to happen to people who don't believe in Jesus after I've been raptured up out of here? Well, hopefully they will remember your words or your life or the things that you've shared with them, and they will give their lives to Jesus. Now, something that you're going to hear me say throughout this, this series is because I think it's very important that we get this sealed in our hearts, that, that this book, the book of Revelation, is to be read as God's final call to salvation for mankind, particularly, particularly the nation of Israel. But the invitation is for everybody. 
Now, chapter 8 that we're going to get into today begins with the breaking of the seventh seal. And the seventh seal contains the second round of judgments, which is the trumpet judgments. So we have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. And they, they, they get worse as each round comes along. But when the Lamb, Jesus, broke the seventh seal, there was complete silence in heaven. Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. That's a long time for complete silence. Think if, if we just, you know how you say, let's have a moment of silence, and then it's usually about 30 seconds. Let's do that for 30 minutes. Just complete silence. You know, think about what was happening prior to this in chapter 7. John, the apostle John, saw the redeemed and all of the angels, like billions of people, praising God, singing songs of victory, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it sounded like a roar of victory. We had the redeemed. We had the angels in heaven. We had the tribulation saints, those who gave their lives. We have the, the, um, uh, the Jewish nation. Everybody praising God in heaven was this scene, and now silence. Complete silence. As they saw the lamb open the seventh scroll, it's like this, this gasp. <gasps> and now they're waiting. It's the calm before the storm that's about to take place. Now, remember, everything in the book of Revelation is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And we can, we can read about the Old Testament prophets that foretold of the events that will happen. But we can also see, like, like was there ever silence in heaven before? Was there ever silence before God like this before? Probably not like this, but there has been. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. This is, this is impending judgment that is to come. Be silent before God, he says. Habakkuk chapter 2, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So now, after... About 30 minutes of silence, the Apostle John sees in verse 2, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. So now, there's a little bit more of a scene that John sees in the throne room, and there's seven angels that stand before God. And each of them now has a trumpet. Well, trumpets are nothing new to God and his people. Let's read something here in the book of Numbers. When, when God was, was forming the nation of Israel, all right? It's interesting to note that trumpets have always held an important and specific roles for his people. So we're going to read a little bit in uh, Numbers chapter 10. And we're going to read the first couple verses, and then we'll jump down to verse 9. But listen to this. Now the Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver for calling the community to assemble and for signaling the breaking of camp. 
When both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. But if only one trumpet is blown, then just the leaders will come. And then he gives some more specifics about how and why and when trumpets are to be blown. And then in verse 9, when you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord your God will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in times of gladness too, sounding them at your annual festivals and at the beginning of each month. And blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. Now, let's just take a side note for a second here. Let's step away from the sermon for a minute, all right? We know that there is some stuff happening in Israel right now, okay? There's fighting that's been going on over there for thousands of years with the Palestinians and the, Isra and the Israelites. And people are on all kinds of sides on this. Nobody wants to see war and destruction and death and harm. I mean, if anybody is rooting for that, then there's something wrong right? Nobody is rooting for that. Lots of people say, well, the land belongs to Palestine. Lots of people say, well, the land belongs to Israel. Well, what am I reading here in verse 9? Right now, the Israelites are in the wilderness, okay? Moses has called them out from under the rule of the Egyptians. They were slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. God says, I will make a nation out of you. And I will lead you to the promised land, which at the time was a land called Canaan. And you'll hear arguments out there that say, well, well God destroyed these people to give it to his people. He's a God of destruction and death and harm. What people fail to realize is the historical content of what was going on in the land of Canaan that we read in the Bible. There were all sorts of different nations there, and they were doing all kinds of despicable things. One of which was sacrificing their children to this God by the name of Molech. God had had enough of the bloodshed of innocent lives on this little tiny piece of land we know now as the nation of Israel. God says right here, he's speaking to the Israelites. When you arrive in your own land, this is your land, says God, this promised land, which will now be known as the nation of Israel. So I just want to kind of take a little side note and say that that little sliver of land is for God's chosen people, the Israelites. There will always be everybody, the whole world against Israel. Why is that? Because Satan wants the whole world against God and his chosen people. And as human beings, sometimes we fall for that. We have to be careful. So I just kind of wanted to give you that side note, um, just in case you're in any kind of a uh, conversation, and you can say, yeah, but, you know, that is their land. And again, please hear me out. Nobody wants to see war. Nobody wants to see bloodshed. Nobody wants to see harm. And, and it's almost like kind of a fact of life that it's going to happen. And what we want to do is we want to pray for both sides, right? 
We want to pray that this thing gets worked out. But the thing is, when you come against God's people, you're coming against God. So you got to be careful. All right, back to the sermon. My public service announcement is over with. <laughs> Just a little something I've been thinking about this past week. But you know, I was working on this sermon, and I read that, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a little nugget of information. So, so here, here in, in the book of Numbers, we can see that God has designated trumpets to be used for several things. A call to assemble, a call to move camp, a call to go to war, and for the use of celebrations and festivals. And the trumpets were also to be used as a reminder of God's covenant with his people, the Israelites. God says, when I hear those trumpets, it will remind me that you are my people and I am with you. I will protect you, I will guide you, I will lead you, I will take care of you. And Jesus also taught that a trumpet would sound to gather, to, would sound to regather the nation of Israel at his second coming, which would be at the end of the tribulation period. Matthew 24, and he, the Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And then the Apostle Paul taught that we would hear a trumpet blast prior to the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And we will be caught up in the heavens in a twinkling of an eye. Amen. I would, I would say that those are calls to assemble. God is calling his people to assemble with him for eternity by the blast of a trumpet. Now, in Revelation chapter 8, I would venture to say that these trumpets are in reference to a war. God's war against the earth. God's war on the earth. Impending judgment. And again, church, it's very important to remember these judgments are twofold. A call to repentance and the consequences of rebellion. All right, so let's continue to read Revelation 8, verses 3 through 5. Then another angel with a, with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. That's pretty crazy. Now, it's interesting to note, you're going to hear that phrase come from me quite a bit today, it's interesting to note that some of these trumpet judgments we're going to read about today parallel some of the plagues of Egypt. When God worked through a fellow by the name of Moses to free his people out from under the rule of Egypt. They were slaves, right? Moses was a Hebrew. He was an Israelite. He was born a Hebrew. He was raised an Egyptian. He knew both cultures. Perfect guy for the job. Moses said, uh, God said, Moses, I want you to call my people. Now's the time. 400 years of this, it's time. 
We're going to lead you out of Egypt. You've got to go to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But listen to this. In chapter 9, this is the seventh plague. Uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed toward the earth. Interesting, huh? The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. So, we, we, we must continue to read the book of Revelation in the literal sense. This flash of, of, of this crash of thunder and flash of lightning and a great earthquake is not symbolic. This very same thing happened in Egypt. As God was def uh, defeating each one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped through what we call the ten plagues. Now, this is quite a scene. Seven angels who stand before God are each given a trumpet, and then comes this angel with a gold incense burner. I kind of picture him as he's bigger than the rest. I mean, he's got he's got huge bowl of incense with him. And in, and in chapter five, when we when we did that that study, when the only one worthy to open the scroll stepped forward, Jesus. Who appeared, as a lamb, who, who, who appeared as a lamb as though he had been slaughtered, nailed to the cross. In Revelation 5, verse 8, we read this. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings, the, the seraphim, the angels, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So now we have, in chapter 8, an angel taking a gold bowl mixed with a great amount of incense along with the prayers of God's people, our prayers. And he throws it down to the earth. Causing thunder to crash, lightning to flash, and a terrible earthquake. I think it's safe to assume that this is, this is worldwide. This is a storm like nobody on earth has ever seen. And we're well into the tribulation period now, right? In the first half of it. Thunder, lightning, and earthquake. I, I picture it like this. Again, now this is me, so just humor me for a minute. The whole earth shakes. There's a, there's a, there's a huge earthquake that maybe goes around the whole earth. The ground splits in places. Buildings crumble. Lightning is flashing. Thunder is crashing. People are panicking. And this scene tells us something about the power of our prayers and the value they hold with God the Father. See, these prayers in this bowl that have been mixed with incense and fire thrown down on the earth represent our communion with God the Father. Our reliance on him to take care of us, to protect us, to heal us, to move on our behalf. I mean, that's what our prayers mean to God, right? Isn't that why we cry out to God? 
for protection, for healing, for a move on our behalf? I mean, how many times, honestly, do you share your good moments with God? I, I encourage you to do that because he will, he will bless you and he will rejoice with you and, and you'll come together with him on a whole nother level. But, but church, when all we have left are our prayers, our conversations with God, we've got nothing else. Finances, relationships, marriage, dealing with stuff. When we've got nothing left to give but our prayers, we as believers in Jesus have the greatest gift ever given to mankind by God the Father. Our communion with him. When Job, right, the book of Job, Satan took everything from Job, destroyed his life. The poor guy even his wife said, would you just give up and curse God? Just get this over with. I couldn't imagine Kim saying that to me. Like, I'm just, I'm, I, got, I got boils on my face. I'm bleeding. I'm disgusting. I'm, everything is gone. My whole everything. And she tells me to just curse God, Chip. Get it over with. And I got three friends that are, they're sitting with me and they're trying to console me, but they have these conversations that really kind of make me feel worse about myself but then I'm having these conversations with God where I'm not happy I'm complaining I'm angry I'm upset I'm sad I'm confused and I got Satan himself bearing down on me when all Job had left were his prayers that's what he did he prayed he kept his faith with God and he prayed and in the end God blessed him double he got everything back but more and more first peter chapter 5 says give all your worries and cares to god for he cares about you so my question is all right going back to this scene what prayers were in this particular bowl to cause all of this to happen worldwide an earthquake and thunder and lightning and storms and stuff what kind of prayers were in this bowl? What have God's people been praying for 2,000 years ever since Jesus, his disciples, said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And he prayed what? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of prayers that are being crashed down on the earth. Christians throughout the ages have prayed prayers of justice, prayers for suffering to end. We're praying that for Israel right now, right? We're praying for the Palestinians. We're praying for the Israelites. We're praying for peace. We're praying for Jesus to return quickly. We're praying for wrongs to be righted. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. For God to hear us, to move on our behalf. This is every prayer that's been filling bowls in heaven being thrown back to the earth in the form of judgment. Now again, 
We, we, and, and, and so, here's the thing, church. Why does it have to happen like this? Why, why does it seem like God is just, just, why does he have to judge the earth the way he's doing? Well, first of all, he's been calling people to him all of this time, and some people aren't listening, and it's the only way to get their attention. Now, listen to this. In, in, uh, uh, when God created the universe, in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of each day, he declared everything he did as good. Even mankind. It was perfect. It was paradise. It was the way that he had wanted it to be until Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled. They rebelled, and they brought sin into the world. Did they catch God off guard? No. He knew this was going to happen. He gave us free will. But Satan came along in the form of a serpent and got them to question what God had said. When you begin questioning the Word of God, the Bible, like you're, you're doing things in your life and you're like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't really, I don't think this pertains to me. Well, you better check yourself. Because Satan has used that tactic from the beginning of time to get us to question God's Word. And Adam and Eve fell for it. And they ate from the tree they were not supposed to eat from. And it broke their trust with God. Now, that's what comes with free will, rebellion, <laughs> a sinful nature. But what happened, and God had a plan, right? He already had a plan set in place. But they broke their trust with their creator. And the Apostle Paul writes all about this in, in the book of Romans chapter 8. But to break it down for you, we see that all creation was subjected to the curse of rebellion. This is why we have death and disease and destruction and, and, and decay and people acting badly. It's the curse of rebellion. But then we also see, as Paul writes, all creation eagerly anticipates the day it will join God's children from death and decay to the freedom originally intended for it to enjoy. Creation, the plants. Everything that has life, everything that has life breathed into it, the birds, the fish, the animals. Remember, one of those seal judgments that wild animals go crazy. Creation is subjected to this judgment of God. But it eagerly anticipates the day it will join God's children. And then, and then the life and the colors and the, and the vibrancy that will, that will be within creation because it is as it was originally intended. No sin will one day be enjoyed by all of it. All the prayers throughout all the years are about to be answered. In verse 6, Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets began prepared to blow their mighty blasts. Verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. 
One third of the earth was set on fire, one third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. Again, a very similar to the seventh plague of Egypt that we just read about. But could this also be what Peter wrote about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10? And prior to this, how about let's just back up to verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. See, these judgments are, are they're a call to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. What does that mean? Would you tell people about Jesus, please? Hurry this along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. I think Peter was writing the same thing about what's about to happen. Now, just as a side note here, it's often been thought and maybe even taught that these first two trumpet judgments that we've just read about and even what Peter writes about here um, can easily appear to be the result of a nuclear war, right? I mean, it sounds like it. It's fire and things melting away and being destroyed and all of this destruction and blood and blah. But if we go back to chapter 5 for a minute, we'll see that when the people cry out, when the, the once, was it the, the, the fifth seal, I think, was broken? The people go and they hide from, from, from generals and leaders to, to, to slave and poor. Every, every um, um, class of people run and hide in the rocks and in the caves and they cry out for the mountains to fall on them because they know that this judgment is coming from the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. They know that this is coming from God. So that tells me that what we're dealing with here and what we're seeing here in chapter 8 is not something man-made like a nuclear war. These judgments, these, these things are coming from heaven, and people will know this. They will know that it's coming from God. Everyone will know these catastrophic events are coming from the one who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, just as in chapter 5. And I might be getting ahead of myself. This is not in my notes, because this thought came to my mind. Again, another hot-button topic for today's culture and society around the world, but that would be climate change. For those of you who are on, stand on this, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Close your eyes. I want to see where you're at. Listen, that's a hot-button topic, right? I'm not going to tell you my views on it. <laughs> 
Some people are very adamant about climate change and how we're destroying the earth and we need to do something about it and if we don't do something about it we're all going to die and it's all because of you and you're, you know, you're not driving an electric car and you're not this and you're not that and it's all your fault. I'm not taking the blame for that. I'm pouring gas in my car. <laughs> now you know where I stand, okay? But listen, hear me out on this. This thought occurred to me just like late last night. A lot of people will know that these judgments are coming from God and he's destroying the earth, thus ruining the climate. So who are they going to be mad at? Because they are worshiping the creation, not the creator. And they're going to blame God for destroying the climate of the earth. I don't know. Could be a thought to think about. So, the second trumpet is blown. Verse 8. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water in the sea became blood. One-third of all the living, of all things living in the sea died. And one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. This is what John saw. Now, I want to just... Go to Exodus real quick, chapter 7, to the first plague. In Exodus 7, verse 20. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere in the land of Egypt. I mean, very similar, right? We don't know what this great mountain of fire was that John saw come, come crashing onto the earth from heaven. Could, could be an asteroid, could be a meteor, could be a mountain of fire, could be an angel carrying out uh, the judgment of God. But, but I'm just going to go with he saw a mountain of fire being thrown down to the earth as the second trumpet blew. What we do know is that these are very similar judgments to what Egypt had experienced. And so I have to wonder, is it possible that God gave Solomon the words to teach us about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 when Solomon, the wisest man who walked the earth, wrote, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. These things that happened in the tribulation period, I mean, exponentially worse, but it's nothing new. God's done judgments like this before with Egypt. And Egypt held his chosen people as slaves for 400 years. The Pharaoh waged war against God for what he was doing, against the gods he worshipped, and against his land. Now, again, church, these judgments are a final call to repentance as well as an answer to the prayers of all the saints, right? Because there's that gold bowl that started this whole thing mixed with incense and prayers. But when you read about the plagues of Egypt, the Pharaoh repented. The king of Egypt repented for a time. But, but 
As soon as the hand of God lifted and the rain and the hail and the thunder stopped, his heart hardened against the Israelites once again, and he basically waged war against God. He he raised his fist. Now, I suspect that during the tribulation period, some will repent and turn their hearts towards Jesus. We, We know this. Some will repent for a short time, but then rebel again, kind of like the Pharaoh of Egypt. And some will continue to rebel against God with a hatred toward him for all that he is doing to the earth. They will blame him for everything they're going through. And so far, though, with these trumpet judgments, all right, one-third of everything is destroyed. With the exception of the green grass in verse 7. I don't know what God has against the green grass. He said all the green grass was destroyed. So all the grass was destroyed. But but in everything else, one-third. One-third of all the trees, one-third of all the ocean life, and one-third of all the ships on the ocean. So what this tells us is God is in control. And he is not completely destroying everything. He's trying to get the attention of those who will repent and turn to him. There is a limit to what he is allowing to take place. And what this is, is the mercy side of God's character shining through during these judgments. Nobody, nobody that, people that don't know God don't know his mercy. He is a merciful God. He's giving people a chance to repent during this. One-third, even though that's a lot, there's still time to repent. Think about this for a minute, though. One-third of all the ships destroyed? How about the importing and the exporting? What's going to happen to that? What's going to happen to the oil that we so, so, so much rely on from the Middle East here in America? Are we going to drill on our own land? Not, I mean, we don't really seem to want to do that now. Nothing is going to... All, all importing and exporting, all of that's going to stop for a minute. Remember during COVID? You couldn't order anything? And, and, and we were told it was sitting on these ships waiting to, waiting to be docked? Because everything stopped. That's why I'm just, I'm waiting for the rapture, church. I'd I'd rather get raptured out of here. So again, these judgments are a call to salvation. Let's just keep reading through here. Um, Verse 10. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers, and on the springs of water, the name of the star was bitterness. It made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Some versions uh, of the Bible call this star wormwood. Wormwood and bitterness in the Greek are the same thing. In the Greek, that's what wormwood means, bitterness. Whatever this star contained, it poisoned one-third of the earth's drinking water. And people who drank it died. Some of us can't fathom that. 
fortunately for, for me, I'm a part of a, 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 a mission that we support in this church in Brazil where there is no clean drinking water. You ever go to another country where you have to have your Cipro with you? Because if you drink the water, it's not going to end well for you. This water will kill you. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet. One-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars. And they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. Interesting. Now, the ninth plague in Egypt was darkness. And sometimes I get chills when I read about that because it says a darkness that could be felt. Like the people couldn't see each other so dark for three days. Very similar, right? Oh, except for um, in Egypt where the Hebrews lived, it was light. I don't know exactly... Uh, what this looks like. I've been, I've been trying to think about it, like one-third of the day, one-third of the night, the sun, the moon, the stars. I don't know if there's going to be like so much smoke in the air and stuff like that that it will, it will kind of dim the lights that God set in the heavens for us to use. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if a certain amount of day is going to be completely dark and a certain amount of night, like one-third of the time. I don't know. But what I can think about or imagine is this. It's going to affect the agriculture. It's going to affect the horticulture. It's going to affect the plant life and the animal life. And it's going to affect human beings and our sanity. Because we need light. We need the night. We need the day. God set these lights in the heavens not just to tell time and day and to look at it nighttime and wow, that's neat. Our bodies rely on that. Did you know that? Like if you work a third shift job, it takes your body a minute to adjust to that. Our bodies weren't meant to be up all night and sleep during the day. But thank goodness we have people that do those jobs to keep things rolling, right? So everything is going to be affected by this. Farmers and animals and people. And, and there's going to be rioting, right? And looting and, because it's, it's, it's not going to be as light as it used to be. And people are going to go nuts. And will relief organizations be able to come to the assistance, the assistance of the entire world? Like relief organizations are mostly made up of volunteers. Where are they going to be at throughout all this? But, church, if we read the scriptures and we understand our Bibles... Jesus even foretold of this in Luke chapter 21, and there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. In case, um, in case you missed it with these other trumpet judgments, by the time we get to this one, you, hey, I better start recognizing something here. But then finally, between the fourth and fifth trumpets, whew, we got a little break. Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly. Now, that's not America. Okay. I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last 
three angels blow their trumpets. Now, it's interesting to note that in the King James, the New King James, it, it says an, e, an angel was flying. And every version after that, because I checked them all, I was like, let me, let me just see. Every version after that says eagle. So it appears that the Greek word of angel and eagle are very similar. So I don't know, eagle, angel, something is flying through the air, crying out, whoa, 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 terror, terror, terror for what is about to come. That's why I want to get this next chapter done before the Advent series, and then we'll take a break. We'll take a little breather. See, here's the thing. This, this was the warning. The first four trumpets that we just read about are judgments brought against the earth, trying to get mankind's attention. The next three will be terror brought against Mankind. These next three trumpets are going to be worse than the first four. And there's an angel, there's an eagle, there's flying around, and John sees this in the spirit realm, and he's like giving a warning to everybody in the spirit realm in heaven and everything that can that can that can see this. This these next three trumpets are the judgments against the people whose hearts are hardened toward God. They are referred to as all who belong to this world, or some of your versions say the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Why? Why is God bringing judgment against them? Because they do not have their sights set on an eternal destination with their creator, with their savior, Jesus. They are focused on the things of this world, the cares, the pleasures, themselves. And because of that, they have neglected God. They have neglected every person that shared Jesus with them. They have neglected every time that God has tried to get their attention. They, they are worshiping the creation. They are worshiping themselves. They are worshiping the pleasures. They are stuck on the cares. They rejected God, and they have rebelled against God. And now, judgment will come against them. And you say, well, why is God doing that? Well, first of all, they're choosing this. And second of all, he's still trying to get their attention. They've ignored everything thus far. He's still trying to get their attention. So in closing, it's interesting to note that both the sealed judgments and the trumpet judgments, the, the, the rounds of judgments so far that we've read about, and we're still in the trumpets, God holds back from complete destruction. He didn't destroy everything with the first round of, of judgments. And in the trumpet judgments, he's only destroyed one-third of everything so far, except for that grass thing. During the most chaotic time in the history of the world, God's mercy still shines through. He could, he could do all this at once, but he's, he's doing it in succession because this is his final call to salvation and words are not working anymore. So it's coming in the form of judgment. You know, it's almost as if 
when Jesus first walked the earth, and he was about 30 years old, and he started his public ministry, it's almost as if we are hearing his words again. The words of the good news of the kingdom may be coming full circle for the salvation of mankind. In Mark chapter 1, when Jesus said, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Through these judgments, we can almost hear those words being echoed, whispered. And this should be what, other, what others hear from believers. They should hear this. If we call ourselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus, people should be hearing this from us. Repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. Come and experience everything that the kingdom of God has for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I thank you, God, for your word that we have. Your word is often referred to as a love letter to mankind. And even though there's some things in there we might not understand, hopefully today we get a better understanding. There may be some things in there that, that you know, make us a little nervous or scared or whatever. I'm, I'm hoping that in, in this series, it brings some understanding that this judgment, all those things are bad, is a call to salvation. Throughout all of this, we can hear the voice of Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. Only through Jesus can we have eternal life in heaven. Only through Jesus.